Well, hello. Our guest today is an individual with many stories about connecting with the unknown. He has personally experienced the paranormal as well as encounters with extraterrestrial beings. He's a psychic empath, mystic, and a healer, and I had a fantastic time discussing a number of ideas with him. Please say hello to my friend, Brandon Lapierre. So you you were abducted? Yeah. Okay. So how how does that happen? What Start with that. Okay. Are we recording? Yeah, we're recording. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Um, a lot of strange things happen when I was young. Okay. So I would have friends over and we'd see lights in the sky. And I grew up in a mountain, right? And uh, I don't know if you know what E-SETI is. E-SETI? E-SETI. Uh-uh. So it's the extraterrestrial ranch that's over near Mount Adams. Okay. Uh, they have a lot of known visitations, recordings of ships coming and going, um, different people recording just weird anomalies over there, but multiple people, multiple instances all got it on film. Uh, so I grew up in a mountain and my window faced that direction. And I would always look out my window at night and see weird lights moving in the sky. Like I remember one time I was sitting there and, uh, I forget which friend I was with, but anyway, I was with a friend and we saw these triangle lights come together and they start spinning in the sky and they start changing colors. They zoom apart. They start doing these weird zigzags and they come back together and they start spinning again. So I would see weird stuff like that all the time. How yeah. old were you? Uh, I think we moved up there when I was eight. Okay. Say. And so when you saw six these things. Six. Six. Six to eight, somewhere in there. Yeah. So when these things happened, did you go talk to your parents? Were you like, hey, I saw some weird stuff last night? Uh, I told her some of the weird things and she's like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. She, huh. she thought you were making it up. No, she just, she. I, I think she just didn't have a whole lot to say. She didn't know what to say about it. Mm. You know, she, she had some input here and there, but it's more like it was so out of her realm that she's used to that she doesn't know what to say. But my mom is also, also psychic. So um, one thing they say about ET abductees is every ET abductee is a psychic. Not every psychic is an ET abductee. Right? What is ET abductee? Like an ET experiencer. So people who have a lot of ET experiencers, they all have uh, heightened senses. Okay. Right? They have extra gifts. Okay. But it doesn't require that to see something in the sky, right? I could have seen it if I would have been there. Um, y sometimes. Okay. So sometimes people will be standing next to other people and they will see a ship in the sky, but that other people may not see it. Hmm. That, okay. But I'm, I'm but not saying, I'm not saying you're lying. I'm not saying that's incorrect, but that makes it hard to corroborate with someone else. If you're both standing in the same spot and you're like, Hey, do you see that? And they're like, no. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's exactly right. So yeah. there is other people who've had that experience and they're like, Hey, do you see that? No, I don't see it. Why don't you see it? Yeah. But this ship will be kind of slightly phased out. But as far as the lights that I was seeing, like everybody could have seen those because those are actually lights in the sky, like far enough away. They look, I don't know, like stars that are moving, whatever, and and, weird patterns. Okay. And your friend at that time when you were six or eight, he saw it too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you still talk to him? Um, I, I talked to him a, a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. You know, I, I was friends with him up through high school and I moved away. So we kind of just grew apart. Uh, but yeah, I, I talked to him. I was like, Hey, do you remember? He's like, Oh yeah, man, which shit always happened with yeah. you. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. So you're six years old and you see these lights in the sky. 
and you think it's basically because of the area that you were in? Um, no, I don't think it's because of the area. I think the area made it easy because they were always there, right? And in that direction, I could always see that. But, you know, like I had before even moving up to the mountain, I, um, I lived in a house. We had ghosts. So I would hear them walk up the stairs. Dum, 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 dum. Other people that would come over would hear them. Uh, my brother, who's autistic, would talk to them. I would see shadows move and things like that. Uh, so I was used to the paranormal. And then when we went up there, it was this other kind of paranormal. It was more like the ET experiences, which got really interesting. Do you think ghosts are on the same level as aliens? Most people who have alien experiences also experience paranormal stuff. Huh. So you get exposed to basically it's like uh, you get exposed to these different frequencies. You get kind of entrained with them, used to them because they operate at a different level. So something opens up in that person. And then you begin to be more. Uh, Sorry, this guy is killing me. Okay, yeah, I see that. There we go. Okay, <laughs> uh, you get to be more used to like this other realm of things. So they they appear easier. You get to notice them easier. Senses are heightened, right? So I would know when um, something else was in the room. I would know when something was present. I could feel somebody there in that house, you know. So it was it was going on way way younger is one of my my awarenesses were there. So it tells me also in hypnotic regression that showed me that they started earlier than I remember. Mm -hmm. um, of course, that's only through hypnosis, so that's not like a an actual experience. So some people might you know um, differentiate those, and that's perfectly okay. I understand that. <laughs> but what do you think it is? You think you're just able to tap into something that other people can't? Uh, as far as the psychic stuff or the ET stuff? The ET stuff. No. Um, so ET like experiences generally along run in family lines. Uh -huh. So there's certain individuals that will be like selected because of their, their family lineage. And like, that's typically how it goes. My mom has a lot of missing time. Uh, so she doesn't know like one way or the other. Um, she's, she's also got some memory problems too. You're saying she has months that she can't remember? She has years. Years? Yeah. Years that she can't remember. And there are photos of her or record like video recordings and she's just like, I didn't know I did that. Yeah. 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 They're, they're like, Hey, do you remember? She's like, mm, no, I don't remember that. And so what do you think that's attributed to? Uh, she's got some health issues. She also had some head trauma early on. My, my mom went through some horrible abuse stuff. Okay. Yeah. In her younger years. Uh, so it could definitely be attributed to that. And it's not necessarily due to like missing time from abductee situations or anything like that. But if it did happen, like mm -hmm. you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I, I, pretty much was clued into like something weird going on, like uh, more than that, like the first time when I watched, um, there's a movie called Communion. Mm -hmm. you, ever, you ever heard of that movie? Mm -hmm. uh, Christopher Walken. Okay. So he does a good creepy guy. <laughs> he does everything good. Yeah, he's great. But uh, it, it scared the living daylights out of me as a mm -hmm. kid, right? Yeah. So it was when it first came out and like I watched that and Man, I, I wasn't scared of anything. There wasn't a whole lot that scared me. But right then, it was, uh, I remember thinking while watching it, oh, this is what they do. 
And it's kind of an odd thought, right? Like when you really examine your thoughts, sometimes that there, there's clues in there in your thought and your automatic reaction that tells a little bit more of the story than your conscious mind might know. This is one of those situations. Oh, that's what they do. I, uh, I was terrified, right? I couldn't sleep. I also watched another movie like Fire in the Sky. Well, it didn't help, <laughs> but another abduction movie. And um, uh, so I, I started to look at the grays a little bit differently and kind of, I, I, I didn't know why I was so terrified, but it seemed so real as opposed to everything else I watched. Mm -hmm. That was the most real uh, feeling I've ever had in one of those like scary movies. And I couldn't sleep or anything. And then one night I, uh, I woke up and there was blue light coming in through the window and uh, my heart started pounding. And I, I thought, I, I know what this is. They're here again. I know what this is. And I started walking out into the hallway and there were three gray aliens in my living room in go-karts. And they started driving around my living room in go-karts. And one came up really close to my face where like the go-kart would have been through my body. And then it drove off. And I'm looking at this going, oh my God, this is ridiculous. This can't be real. Like it would have been through my body. This can't even be real. Like, what is this? This is silly. I can't be, I can't be scared of this. This is just ridiculous. All right. And so this is my thought process around it. And when I woke up, I wasn't afraid anymore, right? The fear I had, the terrified fear I had was gone. And so because I woke up again, I was like, that, that must have been just a weird dream, mm -hmm. right? Like that must have been a dream. It was so hyper real, but it must have been just a dream. And uh, so, you know, some time goes on. There was another time where I was, you know, I, I kind of let it slip from my, my mind and just went about my, my, my day my business. And there was another time where I was driving home. I had a, a job at Taco Bell and I was driving home from work. It was late at night and I stopped and there was this huge porcupine crossing the road. And I mean, huge. It's quill came up past the hood of my car. I didn't, I didn't know any better. I was like, oh, that's a huge porcupine. I saw it kind of shaking as it's walking across the road. And I just, I, I spaced out and then I looked and I was like, oh, that porcupine's gone. I must have been just spaced out. That's weird. And I went home the next day and I, I told my mom, I'm like, hey, mom, there's this huge porcupine crossing the road. It was this big. And she's like, no, no, you didn't. What do you mean? Like, uh, no, I saw it. It was like this quills and it was shaking. She's like, no, I don't know what you saw, but it wasn't a porcupine. And she pulls out this nature book and she opens it up. She's like, look, they only get a foot tall, mm -hmm. max. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what you saw or what you thought you saw, but it wasn't a porcupine. I'm like... Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to think about that because I know what it looked like, you know. I'm like, I'm sitting there questioning myself. That was really strange. What the hell was that? Mm -hmm. Why did I see that? And you know, I, again, it was one of those like big question marks for me, and I just went about my business. Uh, when I was young too, like I saw, uh, this is going to tie back in, but I saw a shadow being one time appear in my room. You know what a shadow being is? No, what is a shadow being? So it's when it's basically a silhouette. It's a it's a humanoid figure, but it's a silhouette. And I saw it basically standing in the room. I woke up out of a deep sleep and every hair on my body stood straight up. And it, it's like there's some instinct in you saying something's wrong. And I looked to the hallway and it was walking and it stopped and it just stared at me. Oh, man, I, it, that 
that was scary. I said I wasn't scared of anything, but that that scared me. <laughs> Dude, do you have trouble sleeping at night? <laughs> it seems like with all these issues in the middle of the night, you just go to bed every night and you're like, oh God, what am I going to see tonight? Uh, no, no, not now. But like, not now. Like then, yeah, when I saw the shadows moving at the first house, I would put the, I was like, oh, that's freaky. I'm going to put the covers over my head and go to sleep. All right. So I, I would, I would do things like that as a kid. So all these experiences happen between the ages of six and 18 or so? Uh, the most, most of them ha happened between then. Okay. And they were in well, that? As far as the ET experiences though, you know, so I had a lot of other experiences, but as far as the ET experiences, that that's when they happen is the most. Okay. So sorry, explain ET again. Cause I think extraterrestrial every time you say that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. What, that's what it okay. Was. So was the porcupine and the shadow being, are those, are you calling them ET? I'm calling the shadow being ET too. Okay. Um, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know why it was, uh, but there, I, I was in the military right? and after the military, I became a contractor. So I was over there in Iraq and the room I was in was padlocked from the inside. And there was one moment where I roll over and I look and I open my eyes and there was this shadow being in the room. And by that time, I had already um, been developing my my intuitive and psychic skills. So telepathically, I was automatically like, well, who are you? And he said some like crazy response. And I was like, that's just nuts. And I rolled over and I started going back to sleep. And then I started thinking about it. Wait, what, am, what did he just say? And I, I looked again and he was gone. Right. And so... At that point, I was like, I remember the first time I experienced one of those uh, and it, it terrified me. And this time it was a completely different feeling. Uh, what he said kind of threw me off. So that, that was weird. He said, I'm a junior officer in the galactic. I'm like, I, okay. <laughs> Why didn't you ever embrace it and try to figure out what they were talking about? Um, galactic Federation, what a, what a, what a, whatever, you know, he started going on. I'm like, that just sounds crazy. I don't even know how to process those words that I'm hearing. So why do you think all these things keep happening to you? Why are you, why are you targeted to be the the human being that can receive this stuff? Well, I don't think I'm the human being. Well, I think a I'm, human being. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, like I said, I think it, it, there's, it goes in family lines. You know, there's, there's things that I can do um, that I think are of interest, I guess. Um, I know as far as like my soul goes, there's some familiarity to like non-earthly lives. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can look at some, some past lives I had and past life regressions that have showed me like different things. But then there's just this awareness that I'm connected to more than just this life experience. Okay. Well, what do you think? The goal of these beings, if they do exist and they're coming here and they're talking to people like you, what is the goal? What are they doing? Um, you know, there's different theories on that, right? There's different theories on why exactly they're coming, what their goal is. And I think um, a major part of the goal is exactly is what's happening on the earth. There's a major shift on the earth. There's a major um, spiritual shift, a consciousness shift, whatever you call it. Um, it's been happening for a while, but it's really speeding up. And this is what they've been preparing for. Like a lot of people have been being helped by these beings. And there's different um, different roles that many different people play. The weird thing to me is that if there is other 
creature, if there are other creatures in the universe, which I think there most likely are, the universe is enormous. Like we can't even fathom how big it is. Mm -hmm. There's gotta be something else out there. And if they could travel this far to get here, time doesn't really matter as much to them. No. And the changes that humans have gone through just in the last 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, that technological, that conscious advancement that has happened would seem like nothing to a, a being that could fly across the universe. And so it seems that if they do come here, they would have been here since the Stone Ages. And they would have been here since uh, they would have saw Caesar. They would have seen yeah. anything that happened in the last 6,000 years. And if you look at some of the, the old cave paintings, if you look at some of the, uh, like the Renaissance paintings that happen to have little UFO shapes in there in the sky, uh -huh. that answers that, that question. So they haven't needed to be as involved at those periods because um, like, what do you do at that point? You just basically watch the ant farm evolve. Mm -hmm. And there's that one point when the ant farm begins to shift into something new that they need to take a more proactive approach. But what, why do they care? Well, if you zoom out and look at the bigger picture and if there is no time, then you see both directions humanity can go. Right? You, you see this path and you see this path and you want them to go down the beneficial path. But you see that it could take a turn down the worst. But why though? Are they bored? What do, what do they care what we do? Why do they care if we kill each other or if we live in peace and love and harmony? Um, well, there is, there is everything that we do impacts everything else. Okay. And especially when it comes to like nuclear factors. Okay. Which is why you see um, stories about UFOs showing up when they're getting ready to launch a missile or they'll come and they'll shut down nuclear facilities. They don't want those things to happen, not only for us, but in our own, our own development, but because of how it impacts everything else. There's ripples through dimensions when nuclear explosions happen. Sure. Yeah. No, I could see that. So they are attempting to keep us from ourselves. Essentially, yeah. Mm -hmm. But then there's the positive side too, is like, what will we become? Well, we gotta be this crazy science experiment. Yeah, yeah, there, there's uh, um, many different beings involved on earth, many different hands in the pot, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that from an evolutionary standpoint, they've looked at our genome, like our scientists have looked at our genome and found evidence of gene splicing. This looks like gene splicing. So if we have gene splicing, what does that mean? Uh, that means that something has has messed with our genetics way back at some point, and then we're being guided. Uh, so you you see and hear stories of of samples being taken and uh, of people who have these experiences. So we're being guided in a direction. And if there's more than one genetic line, then all these things are going to mix together. And what happens with genetics is like genetics are. Uh, a lot more than people think, like phobias transfer through genetics, right? And you can change phobias, 
but phobias appear in genetics. They, they have evidence of them being transferable in the genetic line. And so gifts and abilities, psychic gifts and potentials, not just physical characteristics, are also a part of those genetics. If you got these different lines mixing from all these different uh, ET races, what does that do? That means that the potential for that being, the humans that we are, is going to be greater when all these little components are woken up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff we don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. That that I, I guess other creatures could help us figure out. It's almost like it's almost like being a two year old and your parents teaching you how to eat cereal, or you know, being in being in first grade and somebody teaching you how to tie your shoe, or how to write or spell, like all these things that you have no idea what you're capable of doing until someone kind of shows you. And then you're like, oh yeah, that's, why didn't I know that? Well, cause somebody had to show you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're just, we're at the top of something. And the thing that's beyond it, we have no idea what it is. Yeah. Like we can't even fathom what it is. No, how can you? I, that's like, that's the problem. We've never tied our shoes before. We're, and somebody's going to be like, oh, yeah, this is the thing. And you're like, holy shit, why didn't I know that was the thing? Like, how can a, how can a fish describe what land is like? Yeah. That's, that's essentially the shift we're going through in consciousness. It's this paradigm shift into a new way of being. And it has to happen over time because that would be too shocking for it all to happen at once. But just think about it like a fish describing land. And that's the, that's the shift in perspective that we're moving through. Mm -hmm. So going back, it, were there any concrete situations where you feel like you were taken somewhere else? Oh, yeah. Okay. So go into the so let me go first back to those other two experiences. Okay. So af after I left Iraq, um, I started getting a lot more information. I started playing around with my, my psychic abilities and developing those and uh, my healing abilities woken up because of a situation with my mom. And then when I got back, I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta look at these things a little bit more closely. So I started really investigating it. I read this book, uh, The Convoluted Universe by Dolores Cannon. Okay. There was a certain story in there. It just sent chills up and down my spine. And when I read that, I knew that I had to investigate some of my own experiences a little closer. So I went and got a hypnotic regression. And the those two experiences that I mentioned, the one with the go-karts and the, uh, the porcupine, in regression, it was the same beginning, but the end was different. And so it turns out that those were screen memories. So I walked out into the hallway and there were actually three beings in front of me when it looked like it came up close and... and went away, I was actually just standing there. And then there was two on the either side of me and they touched my arms on my shoulders and I kind of blacked out and felt myself float up. Mm -hmm. So that's what that's what actually happened in their regression. And then the- uh, Sorry, I gotta interrupt you, explain regression. Uh, hypnosis. Okay. So they're hypnotizing me to go back in my consciousness to the same moment that that occurred. Okay. So it wasn't a dream in hypnosis. Everything became clear. You can remove the, the layers of illusion. Uh, the, these beings are very good at, at screen memory. So they lay a false image or a false memory over your experience and make it look like something else. And usually they're done in a way that is not so obvious. So they want you to remember 
at some point. Yeah, it's confusing to me. It seems like wouldn't they just want you to not remember it at all? Wouldn't they just like men in black you? Um, it depends, right? It depends on like, are you going to be important to remember them at some point? Hmm. So sometimes people have to go through a point of their own personal evolution in life. They have to go through their experiences and get to a certain point and then they're ready for this other thing. But they can't have all the distractions of the experiences be in their life or maybe they would have gone a different direction. Okay. Right. So it's important for their own path not to know at that point. But there's kind of like key triggers. So this is one of those triggers. I read the book and it triggered that importance in my in my mind. The, the other one was a porcupine. It wasn't a porcupine. It was just this being standing there in front of the car, not a gray, a different kind. Um, it looks similar in a way, really large eyes, not black, but it had these really large pupils. And I was in this trance and it came around the car. It opened up the car and it pulled me out. And then- next, Opened the car door? Yeah. Opened the car door. It pulled me out. I remember going up and then that, that, was, that was it in the regression. Okay. So explain it more in detail. What ha When you go up, what does that mean? In the regression, all I got was it pulled me out. I was already in a trance, but then I kind of blacked out again, and they pulled me up into the ship. And there was some haziness about the memory in the ship, so I don't really talk about that too much because I can't really pinpoint what exactly happened up there, but I know that I was up there. Mm -hmm. um, so that that obviously got me looking at different things and like it, it because it was hypnosis and it wasn't like me like sitting here with you that way, I was like, hmm. Okay, so something else happened, and I started to wonder about it. And uh, but you know, I had more experiences, kept having more experiences and more experiences. Um, I've I have seen them appear in the room um, when I was visiting my ex in Boston. So they showed up in the room there, and I was looking at them with my eyes. Was it three again? It was three again. Hmm. I, they seem to like to show up in threes. I don't know why. And they at least with me, they always look. Similar when they're as quote unquote grays, they look similar. The grays always look pretty much identical. Which is kind of what you always see represented as an alien, big head, small body, yeah, no sex uh, organs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not all of them look like that. You yeah. know, I've had other experiences where they're, uh -huh. not, they're not gray types or that, that type of humanoid, but yeah. Do they ever talk or, or speak or do anything? Not vocally. It's all telepathic. Yeah, there's no reason to use words, right? No, and tele telepathy is much easier. So why, why use words? Yeah. Do they have mouths? Uh, yeah, little slits for mouths. E so even the other one had a little slit. What What do they use the mouth for? Uh, you could put food in it. I mean, <laughs> huh? Yeah. At, at some point, I guess in their evolution, it maybe was used for more, but that's why they have these little slits for mouth. They're not really uh, used. In it's the like same an way. appendix. It's right. just like an antiquated yeah. Yeah. body part. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really ask him too much about it. <laughs> so what do you recall about, so you said when you were in the ship, it mm -hmm. was hazy. You don't really remember any part of that? No, not too much. Uh -huh. Not too much. No. So what, is there anything else that you can pull from that experience, like a feeling or a thought or something that... From that last one I just described, it was um, more... A feeling of the other ones had actually the grays had more of a feeling of love from them or, or nurturing at least from the tall ones. There's there's tall the tall ones and the short ones. I had experienced with the short ones that they don't really have a much of a range of emotions. They get excited, uh, but there's tall ones on the ship generally 
not not necessarily in the on the ground with their experience, but um, but the last ones was more like a uh, it was more like a scientist looking at its its experiment. That was kind of the feeling from it. They were just observing me, looking at it, okay, and then putting me back. So you think it's a caste system? Uh, yeah. The yeah. taller ones are more advanced and the, the shorter ones are like worker bees or something? Yes, that's essentially it. I mean, there's a little bit more to it, but there is a, there is a caste system with the grays. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a caste system. But there's only two, as uh, far as you can tell. No, there's, there's more than that, but the generally what most people experience in those is the tall ones and the short ones. And I, I've heard from, and this, this feels right, but... Um, I've heard from different sources that basically like you've got the tall ones that actually control the smaller ones. Hmm. So they might like um, uh, consciously controlled drones, I guess. Extensions um, of themselves maybe? Yeah. Somehow? Yeah. Huh. So you're saying you felt love from the tall ones and the smaller ones were just excited? Yeah. Not a very large range of emotions, but they get kind of an excited feel about them. Well, that's... That's the thing that I don't know. I've I've really considered. Like, do you need emotion at that point? Um, like, isn't doesn't emotion get in the way of everything? It can, but I mean, look what love does. Well, love is, the, yeah, the best thing. But love is transformational. So I mean, without that, what decisions would you make? Like, think about if love was absent from your life, what decisions would you make? Sometimes people look at that as, well, love gets it's in trouble. But love is also one of those transformative things that can transform you out of the deepest darkness. Yeah, but then there's also betrayal and, um, I mean, everything that goes along with it. Like, love is great, but it, well, that's, that's, there's baggage that gets associated with it. Well, the associations aren't necessarily the event itself, though, uh -huh. right? So that's like the person's experience of love, their association with it, their um, their own triggers, their traumas, and the, the things they have lodged inside their own en energy being expressed. Like, their own vulnerability sometimes. They shut that off because they don't want to be vulnerable. Yeah. But then when you let yourself be vulnerable and you let yourself experience that love, that's when that's when the healing starts. So love uh, can go awry when you experience it with attachments, right? And that's yeah. just what they say is unconditional love is, is the best. And you felt that from these taller grays? Yeah, not necessarily the same kind of unconditional love that I'm talking about, but it was like a nurturing, caring uh, kind of feel from them, that so, kind of love. So it must've been cool, it must've felt good yeah. And you didn't want to leave. Yeah. Uh, there's, there has been many times when I, I felt like um, I didn't want to, didn't want to leave. And like, there's been periods where I'd go a year without an experience. And like early on, I was like, well, it's been so quiet. Like what, what happened? Why are you not coming back? And uh, there's kind of this emptiness, like this this lack of something, and it's hard to explain, but a lot of experiencers actually feel that way too, I, I found out, uh, when they go through similar periods of no, of no experiences when they're so used to it, right? Um, as far as something concrete that you asked, so here here's one that was kind of, I mean, I had lots of experiences where other people have seen them with me and different, different weird events, but uh, one of them in particular I was, this was just a couple of years ago too. Um, so I, I, how many years? Well, maybe five years ago now. But I was going to a UFO conference and um, I had known about it like mm, 
probably a month before the event, like, okay, I'm going to this thing. And then I had this dream. And in the dream, I was on this ship and I was, I was naked. There was a, a gray, a tall gray, kind of in the shadow a bit. And there was this hybrid being uh, on this table in front of me with this light over him. And something that I find myself doing whatever I'm on the ships is I, I end up comforting other other beings. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know why I end up doing that, but I was comforting him and I was like, oh, it's, everything's going to be okay. And I was just kind of like this automatic response for me. And, I, and then I like kind of snapped out of it a second. And he's like, he got up to the table. He's like, okay, your turn. I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Um, what are we doing? I, I want to know. I want to know what's happening. I want to know what you're going to do to me before I get on the table. And so I started rejecting a little bit because kind of like reality set in for a second. And then uh, next thing I know, I started to have this really crazy dream and it didn't make any sense. And then I woke up. And so I've gotten used to the feeling of when something is laid over my consciousness so I can tell when a dream is not mine. So basically that's it's this dream that feels like it's laid over the top, like almost like you're viewing through a screen where normal dreams, you might feel more integrated into it. So I started looking at that. I'm like, well, this is really strange. And then I woke up and I was like, that was really odd. Was, was that even real? And uh, it was oddly placed right, right before I went to this conference. It was about this a month before that I had this dream experience. And then I went to the conference and there was somebody there who specialized in analyzing people. And he showed me like, uh, and there was another person there too that had this really interesting patch thing that would heal pain by absorbing the electromagnetic frequencies from the body and dispersing it and turning it into heat. Um, so those two things, I saw this person and I went there and, and in this tent, he showed me pictures of other people who'd been scanned and they had this glowy stuff all over their arms. Some people had symbols written and he's like, he scanned my arm and I had the same glowy stuff all over my arm. And he's like, well, basically, based on what I'm seeing here, it looks like you had an experience about a month ago. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's right. And then he took this other like detector thingy and put it over my head and found like some implants around my ears and whatnot. And so that was that was the first time I ever had like some more solid concrete. I was not a dream. Take on the ship. There's something else happening there that wasn't quite what it seemed. Right, mm -hmm. but there is some physical evidence there for the first time. So that that was really cool to me. Well, I mean, what do you say to people who think that that sounds crazy? Yep, <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> you know, like that's your personal experience and. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, yeah. but like. And I, I totally, at this point, I completely accept my own experience, right? I also, and there's so many other people that experience these things with me and knowing my own skeptical self, I'm glad that that happened, mm -hmm. right? So if these people didn't experience those things with me, I would definitely still be questioning a lot of things, but I've had so many experiences that it's hard to question them anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. No, I'm not saying you're lying. I'm not saying that what happened to you isn't true. It's just. And I totally get other people who say, oh, that's total BS. Yeah. No, it's just, it happens to such a small fraction of humans yeah. that it's hard for you to get any traction or any credibility yeah. because no one, no one can relate to it. Absolutely. That's why I haven't spoken about it so 
openly you yeah. know in the past and now i'm just like yeah whatever yeah i guess i guess i can speak about it now yeah yeah <laughs> but i i was really hesitant because it's just it's such a it's such a weird topic yeah that I, and i get it when people you get put in a category when you talk about it right mm -hmm. even though there's been celebrities and politicians and things that have their own experiences and what the, i mean it's no different than than believing in religion mm. you can't prove any of that and you have you have a genuine experience yeah. that you witnessed through your own person. People, lots of people, just believe in a dude in the sky, and that's accepted. If twenty people saw a UFO in the sky, a huge ship that was obviously a UFO, they would believe each other. Mm -hmm. Telling that same story to other people who's like, "No, that that bullshit doesn't exist. It's mm -hmm. not even real." They still won't believe them, yeah. even though all of them can coincide and collaborate that story. So what do you do then? Yeah. Right. So you you can you could call it akin to religion, and that's understandable to a certain degree. But at what point are you going to uh, look at the evidence that's already there? Yeah. So at some point you say, well, what evidence do we have? Right. And you can look back at the ancient records, uh, this the cave paintings we mentioned earlier, the weird little things that show up all through history, and you say, well, why is that there? I mean, you could look at the ancient alien show and, and and see some of that. You can also see that they they obviously ramp it up and and hype it up for the show. They sensationalize it. So take all the sensationalization out of it. There is stuff under there that I think deserves to be looked at with, sure, sure like a little more skeptical eyes, but it, it deserves to be looked at nonetheless. Well, yeah, and then you have the United States government releasing uh, documented footage from uh, military planes showing yeah. supposed UFOs. Yeah. And when they're talking about it, then I start to question what their motive is because there's so many things that are classified that people in charge don't want us to know. And if they're releasing that information, I'm like, what is really going on? Well, I mean, if you look through time, you can see evidence of it. They they said it it was it was true. Roswell happened, and then like whoa 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 let's back out of this. They changed the story. Suddenly it's a, a weather balloon, and then they they had ran for that narrative for so long, and now they're at the point where they said yes it's real. And so where do we go from here? So many people have been used to being told it's not real, and you look around your daily life, and you go well, I don't see aliens running around, so. Uh, how do you explain that? Like if and like I got a friend. He's like, well, I don't believe it's real. I'm like, I don't know. Tell you, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, if, if they were real, I would have seen them. I'm like, not necessarily. Yeah. You know, think about like the Star Trek. Um, what, what, what do they say that like they do, there's their non-interfere um, uh, protocol, right? Okay. Okay. So you just let the ants do what they're gonna do, and then when it's time, you release. You know, show well, yourself. They can't just show up and be like, hey, we're here, because that would be chaos. And everybody would start killing everybody. Uh, maybe. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's nothing that would bring everyone together. They, oh. they would either view them as an enemy or a friend, but it doesn't matter. There would be no general consensus on what to do about the situation. And if those. There will be. You think so? Yes. Yeah. There, there will be. There will be a point when then that will be okay. And basically, like think about it after a huge disaster, people are more open to somebody showing up. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I'm not I'm not wishing that or saying that's going to happen, but that's just one example. But there will be a point when we shift, and it's no longer going to be this uh, people projecting themselves onto this other thing that that says well, we need to be afraid of that. It will be people working through their own stuff and finally learning how to cooperate. When people start to learn how to cooperate together a little bit more, then they can introduce this other factor. We've got to stop fighting amongst ourselves before they ever show themselves. That's basically uh, the first point. Hmm. So if we can't stop fighting against ourselves, why would they show themselves? Hmm. Why would they make a mass appearance? But at that point, our understanding will be different when that happens. Do you think that they have, I mean, they obviously have technology far superior to ours yeah. that they could share. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot more technology than we're being made aware of. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like uh, if this Roswell crash were real and they do have these, these recovered craft, they would have back engineered the shit out of those things by now, right? Yeah, they, so they'd sure. have all kinds of things. And, you know, there's there's things in a rumor mill saying that where we got certain technology or whatnot, but that's neither here nor there. What we really want is like the power generation technologies, the anti-grav technologies. And we definitely have those. And how is that, how is that gonna change society? Yeah, within these circles, when you go to uh, these UFO conventions or mm. these meetings with these people, what what is the general consensus amongst everyone about what is happening and, and what's possible? Uh, they're kind of a mix. Yeah, You've got the people that say that we should fear all of them. Uh, you got the people that are or kind of in the middle, there's good ones and bad ones. You've got the people like uh, Stephen Greer saying that they're they're all loving and everything else is just our government. Right? It's really our government that's doing the bad things and it's mm. it's not the, the ETs. So it, it, the consensus, it's not really one consensus. So there's even infighting amongst the UFO believers. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you can't, yeah, just like yeah. anything. Yeah, huh, wow. And but I mean, your experience is that it's just love. Uh, with them, yeah, not so much on on some other experiences that I've had. Yeah, so like uh, we talked about earlier, the the my lab experiences. Okay, yeah, those. so so let's go into that. So you joined the United States military. I was in the Marines. You were in the Marines. Uh huh. What year did you join? Uh, let's see. Um. 98 to 2004. Okay. And- That was my active duty. And after that, I, I became contract work. Okay. And so tell me that acronym again. MyLab. MyLab. So explain what that is. That basically military abductions. Okay. So you were abducted while you were in the military, which is different from just a civilian abduction? I was abducted after I was in the military. I have- I have great suspicion that other things were done while I was in, but I, I don't know. I, I drank a lot when I was in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you joined the Marines and you were in there for how long? Five years. Five years. Yeah. And when did the, the activity start happening? Well, one of the things that I found really interesting and it's, it's part of my beingness, but why did it start? Why did it activate then, there? Um, 
I, I do have, ex I have experience of this particular thing I'm about to share in other scenarios. Um, but when I was in the military, I was living with my girlfriend at the time off base and she woke up scared shitless. The cats were freaking out under the bed and she was freaking out. She was shaking the shit out of me, trying to get me up. And she's like, get up, get up, get up, Brandon, get up. And I was dead asleep and I, I kind of opened my eyes and I noticed that every cupboard in the house was knocking back and forth. Da -da 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 every cupboard in the house. It wasn't an earthquake? No. Every faucet had water faucet had turned on too. And what I noticed that is the more that I woke up, the slower it became until I was completely awake and everything was stopped except the, the faucets were still, still turned on. And I remember feeling like uh, she woke me up like I was in the middle of something. Maybe she was just messing with you. No. Well, <laughs> I mean, she just she, turns out all the faucets. Hey, hey, something's going on. If she could do that with the cupboards, then that's pretty <laughs> impressive. I, I teach me that trick. So you got out of bed and all the faucets were running water? All the faucets were running water, yeah. But when I was waking up, the cupboard doors in the kitchen, in the bathroom, everywhere, like flapping back and forth, huh. open and closed. Huh. Really weird experience. She was freaking out. The cats were freaking out. Every Everybody in the house with me was freaking out, really. And uh, so I just kind of got up and I was like, when I got up, it stopped. So I shut off the cupboards, turned the water off and just went back to bed. But, but this wasn't related to being in the military or being in the Marines. It just happened. It happened while I was in the military. So my lab, what they do is they take experiencers because they have things that are open in them abilities that are open in them and they try to use those. So if anything was being done, it could have been that that activated it or it could have been just something naturally that happened. And at the time, I didn't know if it was me or a ghost or, or what was going on. I thought there was just some weird stuff happening. But then later on, when another similar experience happened, where telekinesis basically, and uh, then I look back at that moment and I realized that it actually was me, which makes sense why it would stop when I was waking up. So that was kind of like one of my realizations, like further on down the road, obviously. But um, when I came back, like when I was in Iraq, I started talking to my mom a lot. We, I started developing my, my telepathy. We started to talk and communicate. Um, just psychically, because she was worried about me over there. And so I began to tell when she wanted me to call. And I was like, oh, okay, she wants me to call. And I would, I would call her. And she's like, ah, oh, you got my message. I'm like, yep. She's like, I just walked in the door. I'm like, yep. Or I would send her a telepathic message. I'm going to call you in an hour. And then I called her and she would pick up the phone. I got your message. Good. Right. So that, that went on like pretty much the whole year I was there. Um, and it, it just grew stronger over time. And um, one of the times I was at a Navy SEAL base and I had talked to my mom about the telepathy thing and me developing it because I noticed that there are certain situations with individuals, if they weren't looking at me and I said something in my mind at them, they would respond verbally. Like if they were looking at me when I did that, they would kind of just give me this weird look. but. If they weren't looking at me, they would respond verbally. So the guy at the chow hall, he did that. And he was looking down at my my, my ID. Uh, again, or the guy that I worked with, he did that. 
because I said something in my mind and he responded like I asked the question or said it out loud. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, ah, oh, this is this is really interesting. It's fascinating. And so I was talking to it uh, about that on my with my mom on the phone at this Navy SEAL base where they record everything. And I just got this weird like, uh, mom, I, I shouldn't be talking about this with you right now. She's like, you're probably right. I'm like, yeah, I'm at a Navy SEAL base. I forgot to mention that. So they're, they're listening. They probably just think I'm a whack job though. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, were you involved in any information that wasn't supposed to be distributed? Like, w was there any intention on their side to keep you from knowing things or, or, or telling people things? You know what I mean? About? Just like, were, because of your status and whatever position you held, were you privy to certain information? I mean, I had a secret clearance over there and I was required for my job. And I worked in um, a talk, they called it the talk, and next to PSYOPs. So I got to hear some of those things, but that really wasn't any anywhere near the issue. What does that mean? What, what is PSYOPs? PSYOPs, uh, psychological operations. Okay. So I got to hear some of the things that were going on that they were planning with the locals which is kind of messed up in itself, but uh, that's kind of a different story. But what I'm getting at is, did you hear something that maybe they realized after the fact, oh, we shouldn't have let him hear that? Uh, no. No? No. Okay. So there wasn't any after the fact, like, oh, we should try to eliminate that thought process from his mind. Nothing like that. No, that, no, no. Okay. It was it was more me talking about my psychic abilities and then feeling like this, getting this sinking feeling, like, oh shit, what did I just say on yeah. this on this telephone that's being recorded? Yeah. And then when I got back to the main base, I woke up and it looked like there was a needle mark in my arm. So they were looking for something. So the experiences that I had, the my lab experiences had, happened after I got back from Iraq. When I got back from Iraq, I started to have like crazy military dreams all the time, some other weird experiences. And just like um, just like with the ET experiences, there's a lot of those that are, are kind of hard to pinpoint because they seem like dream experiences, but there's other weird factors involved there. Like for instance, uh, I would sometimes have these simultaneous dreams with my, my then partner. So we would share a dream together. We would be in the same dream together. This was one instance where it was wintertime. We were in this house that wasn't heated very well or insulated. So we kept the, uh, uh, the electricity down. Otherwise, it was a huge bill. It was a large house. And so I didn't, I didn't turn it up very well in the winter. So the, the room itself was cold. We had this down comforter. Uh, we went to sleep. And the dream I had, I was flying over Alaska. And I remember like flying over the tundra and it was this icy blue like shimmer uh, from the ice on, on the top of the tundra. And I went up and it was really thick snow too. And I went up and then down into this tunnel. And I remember all these, uh, these the different branches of military in there. It's like it was a joint operation. And somewhere in Alaska, I don't know where, but, and then I woke up and I woke up at the same time as her. And I said, I just had this dream that I was flying and she finished my sentence over Alaska. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm like, do you remember the tunnel? She's like, no, I don't, I don't remember a tunnel. I just remember flying over Alaska. I'm like, oh, that was so strange. And then when I looked down and I felt the bed, this, this, the down comforter, not electric comforter, just a regular down comforter was laid perfectly over us. And from corner to corner, hanging off the side of the bed was heated. 
It was hot to the touch. It was like somebody had heated this up and then laid it over us perfectly. Hmm. And it was so weird, the whole, the, the physical part of that, and that we woke up together at the same time. It's like, how, how did that happen? Why did that happen? And I've like, never heard of somebody being in each other's dreams at the same time. That's pretty crazy in and of itself. That, that, that happens, yeah. Has that happened more than once to you? Yeah, a few times, yeah, 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 multiple times. A lot of times people don't remember the joint dream, like a one person does and one person doesn't. Sometimes they both do though, but I've had it more than once. No, I've never had that happen or even heard of anybody doing that. That, there's a lot of opportunities in that, especially if you yeah. find out that you're both dreaming. Yeah. You need to do some crazy shit. Yeah. Wow. Um, God, where do I go from there? <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that anything happened while you were in the military? You know, it, it sounds like there's no rhyme or reason to any of these events throughout your life. It's just like at any given moment, at any given time of day, you could have been shown something or taken somewhere. And it's just like all these very weird, erratic, sporadic situations where you were shown or, or allowed to experience something. There's no tie to anything other than you. Well that, well, that basically is the tie, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I think well, part of it is just the nature of my my beingness. Why certain things happen? Because I've had a lot of like mystical experiences too, and I, I've always had those um, dreams of the future, clairvoyant dreams, that kind of thing, um, parallel reality experiences, and where I'd experience it with somebody else with me, just like just like some of those ET experiences. Um, things appearing and disappearing in front of me, like a parallel reality, like a wall uh, that happened in one. So I have all these things happen to me. Why did they happen to me? I, I think it's just like I said, it's, it's, it's the nature of, of my beingness. I, I really like those things. They're fun. A lot of them, like the spiritual kind of things, the mystical kind of things. They're very soul expanding. And part of this like shift in consciousness is the way that I interact with the world. And because I can do some of these other things, like think about like a super soldier, what would be required for them if they were trying to make a super soldier? If a person can move things with their mind and they can control that person, what can they do with that person? So that's why the military gets involved. So usually they target people who get abducted and they re-abduct them and they figure out what they can do and they try to utilize them and they re-engineer the abductions. So then they can use people without their awareness. That's, your, that's what you're saying the greys do or the military does? The, well, uh, the, the black government, the black ops government, right? The secret government, okay. that's what they do. It's usually these like military industrial complex. So it's uh, um, the skunk works. Uh, those are different corporations that do that. But yeah, basically a government faction. Like you've got these different military operations, like the the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines. They have uh, joint operations where they where they work on some of these things. And you, you're saying you think they have a special interest in acquiring people who have been abducted? Yeah. 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 There was a a guy. Um, he 
he came to the the conference that I went to and he was a former intelligence officer and his job was to go around and investigate these things, see which ones are real, also to spread disinformation so that people wouldn't think they're real, the ones that were. So it's How do you prove it's real though? What's that? How do you prove it's real? How would he know how would he sift through thousands of stories to figure out which ones actually happened? Well, a lot of these things happen at government facilities, right? Bases, military bases. So he would go there and investigate the things that happened at the military base. So that, that was a major part of it. And other parts where he would go to uh, where people were claiming things and they maybe they hit on some truth. In order to combat that aspect of truth, he would go there and infiltrate himself into this person's life and then start to feed them misinformation so that anything they say Jesus won't be taken seriously. Because if you're at that level in the CIA or the FBI or whatever whatever government institution. What other three-letter agency? <laughs> yeah. If you're at that level and you have all of those stories in little folders on your desk and you get to go through everything and start to see everything that lines up and you're like, oh, maybe this is like, this is legit. This is really happening. Mm -hmm. Then you go out and you interview other people who have those same experiences. You're saying if their story fell in line with what he starts to consider is general consensus, he could either steer them down the path of you're fucking crazy mm -hmm. or manipulate them in whatever way that he wants to. Yeah. That's wild, dude. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're trying to control the narrative, you got to create plausible deniability. Mm -hmm. When you create pl plausible deniability, then you can do whatever you want because you can just deny this person having any credibility whatsoever. Well, and you're dealing with human memory, which is yeah. so shaky to begin with. Like, That's true. I have so many, I, I talk about this with my friends all the time, like something we did together 20 years ago and somebody would be like, no, it didn't happen that way. No, you weren't there. No, we were driving a blue car. You know, like everybody's memory. And then add in... Like the the weird factors like uh, uh, the Mandela effect. Mm -hmm. You've heard of that? Yeah. So add in those weird factors and how does that play a role? How do we create our own experiences? That's my problem is that I don't know. I don't know how much of my memory I trust. I think that what I remember is real, but maybe mm -hmm. it's not. Maybe... It has shifted. Maybe I've made it cooler because it's my story. Maybe I just walked down the street and the story I tell is I met a famous person and I stole a car and then I won the lottery. But I didn't do me. I was just walking down the street. Like you shift things to make it better for you. Where, here's a question for you. What part of your body knows the truth? I would say my mind, but maybe my heart. It's your heart. So they've, they've done studies, HeartMath Institute done studies. And um, basically what they showed is a person can be sitting in front of a screen where random images will show up on the screen up to, I think it's like 16 or 17 seconds before the picture shows up, the heart will respond. And the heart will know the right emotional response to the stimulus every time. So the, the heart is way more intuitive and in knowing than the mind. When the mind gets involved, that's where everything goes awry. Mm -hmm. 
And that's where the stories about what's happening occur. And that's where we second guess ourselves. That's when, and when that happens, the heart closes down. This is why like heart brain coherence, when a person is getting these two things in coherence, they're way more intuitive. So there's ways that you can, you can develop this intuition where I can, I can tune into something and get information about it without even knowing what it is. I can answer a question, a yes or no question without even knowing what the question is if the person holds the question in their mind. And that's because I'm using my heart to discern the information. So when you learn the language of the heart, you learn how to easily discern truth from fiction. And the only other key there is when you're learning about um, discerning from the heart and, and what is true or not, you have to make sure that you are clear on what is your emotions and what is your intuition. So that's another way that people can throw themselves off. When you have strong attachment to something, for instance, that can throw you off as far as what is true or what is not, what is right for me, or what is not right for me. But when there's no attachments whatsoever, if I'm reading for somebody else, I can get clear, accurate information without even knowing anything about it. They can hand me a piece of paper with a question and I can just hold it. If it's a yes or no question, I'll tell them exactly what it is. It feels like this. And they're like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I've been thinking. And they'll, they'll, they'll relay like what it is and you know, I'll confirm what their thoughts are or, or give them more information. On it. You think maybe you're just really good at reading body language? No. It's I, something I, else. I can do it through the internet and my friend, for instance, will just say, send me a text. Can you give me a yes or no? So I, okay, she has a question and I tune into the question and I respond. I don't need to be there. I don't need to look at the person or see anything about them. I just tune into the energy of the question. Mm -hmm. All right, so it's not body language. It's nothing like that. I can do a complete stranger that I don't know whatsoever. It's an important skill. I think it's a very important skill, especially like look at the society we live in today. Mm -hmm. Look at how much misinformation, disinformation, manipulation, lies. Like you don't even know what to believe anymore for most people. That's the problem. Yeah. So how do we unite behind that? Love that. <laughs> that is the problem. So. Yeah, because most people don't trust anything anymore. Not even, not even themselves. No. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like I. that That's what I feel I'm here to do is I'm here to help people with that part. Mm -hmm. Help unite in themselves. Help open up that part of themselves that they can, they can listen to that voice within. And learn how to use their powers of manifestation so that we can unite behind that. Because there are, when you break it down, the fundamentals of everything, we all essentially want the same things but we're being manipulated left and right and then told what these problems are when they aren't actually that. We're just being moved in a direction so that an agenda is playing out. Well, yeah, and people focus on different things. People, yeah. people have different levels of education. They have different mm -hmm. levels of an open mind and mm -hmm. willingness to accept different thoughts and different ideas. Yeah. And the more you shut yourself down, the less likely you are to um, well, obviously be willing to change, but just to be open to a, a broad set of ideas. And there, there becomes a, there becomes a situation with humans when you have, 
certain information that's given to you and you rationalize it inside yourself mm -hmm. and you don't know what to do with it. And uh, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> um, I had something there for a second and it went away. Uh, there, there's, there's a thing that happens that you, you try to tap into that is fleeting and sometimes it's obvious and other times it, it goes away. And I think people just get distracted with what they're doing and you don't allow yourself to, to consider why things are what they are. You just, you drive down the street and trees just grow. You don't consider like, why is a tree a tree? It's, it's this living creature that's in the ground that absorbs sunlight and grows with, with the water and the soil. And there's all this stuff happening around you constantly. And that's what's so cool about being a kid. That's what's so cool about not knowing anything. And it goes back to when I was talking earlier, when I was talking about uh, when you're two years old and, uh, or when you're five and you don't know how to tie your shoes, there's all these things that you, the more you grow and the more you learn, you just accept things. And instead of like really considering why they happen, mm -hmm. you just, you move on. And then you're like worried about things that don't matter. I never got to that point. I don't think. No, I, no. I've always been like my, I annoyed the shit out of my mom because I was always asking why. Yeah. Always asking why about uh -huh. everything. Why? And so my whole life has been trying to, like, I'm always very introspective, wanting to know why certain things are certain ways. And the more information that I get, the more I dig and try to dissect. And uh, looking at, like, healing work. Why does this happen this way? Why does it happen this way? Right? Why does it stick when it does and it works when it does? Why doesn't it work when it doesn't work? Right? So I'm always looking at, like, different uh, what's what's the core basis here? What's the fundamentals here? I'm I'm very very contemplative about a lot of things, but I get that a lot of people aren't that way. No, they're not. A lot of people are just going through the motions of life, and life just kind of sweeps them away. But I think I think that's the kind of the society that we live in, and that's part of this fundamental shift. You know, I mean, look at like how many people are not wanting to just go back to the daily grind the way things were before. Uh, there's a lot of people that are um, going back to work because they need to, but like I've, I've went to a couple different businesses where like, yeah, there's nobody here today to work. Yeah, you know, this, this new generation, they just don't want to work. And so they're just taking time off when they feel like it. Can't fire them because they have nobody else. <laughs> like, but that's, that's, I think that's part of the shift though. Mm -hmm. People are really wanting more from life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good thing to recognize because if you really sit and think about it, what is important? Is it making money? No. 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 Is it getting status at the corporation? No. Like what? I don't know. It's like what I go back to every time I do mushrooms. It's like, what? Why does it matter? Like, what are we doing? What is the goal? What is the goal? So what, what do you, when you ask that question when you're on mushrooms, what do you get? I usually just get, just love people. There is no goal. You're just here. You, no one knows why. I don't know why I'm me. I don't know why I have a job. I don't know why I have kids. 
I'm just me. I should try to be happy without making other people miserable. I should try to make other people happy. But there's no, there's so much time. There's so much time. And I, we get this little fraction of it. Mm -hmm. And we think we're so important. And the earth does not give a fuck about us. That's it doesn't care. Appears to be true. It doesn't care. That appears the to be true. The earth will go on for billions of years yeah. and we will not be here. But we get so focused on the minutia of this, and this doesn't matter. It's this thing we can't explain, and you just get to do it for a little while. And so you should just love people. Do you know there's, have you ever looked at uh, near-death experiences? Uh, I talked to Sharon about it, yeah. Okay. Uh, have you ever looked at, um, so near-death experiences and past life regression, they're mm -hmm. very similar and uh, in the information that comes up. When people do past life regressions or between life stuff, there's, there's a commonality in that element. One is that we've lived multiple lives, like almost everybody. You know, there's a very small minutia that probably has lived only a couple lives, but um, most everybody has been lived multiple lives. Uh, when they die, there's also, when they go to the other side, there's also a very, very strong commonality between all their experiences. Um, they hear the same types of message. A lot of the messages they get, it's important to love. Love is the most important thing. We're here to learn how to love one another, how to love ourselves. Uh, we're here to grow spiritually. And we are all loved by this infinite intelligence that we came from. There's, so there's a consciousness that we're all a part of, nobody's separate from us, but we're given free will to have this experience and all of us are loved equally by that consciousness. So that's the essential nature of everybody, almost everybody who had this near-death experience. There's certain little outliers, but when you look at like, what does the soul need in order for it to grow in its own experience, then you those, those outliers make more sense too. Um, people who experience hell, for instance. So is hell real? Well, these people who experience it say it is. There's other people who experience near-death experiences and they say that it's not really hell, it's just an aspect of our own consciousness that we create within ourselves. And then we go to that experience. So there's a part of us that needs to solve and resolve our own karma, resolve the things that we've done, the part of us that feels guilty, remorse and all those things. And so basically it's, kind of like our own punishment that we put before ourselves. But the other experiences show that there's something else there. And basically it's like there's this creation within ourselves. So we are co-creating our experience. And that's the thing that really happens when we die. And, and that's why it's similar, but varied. There's a lot of people who see Jesus, for instance, and that experience of Jesus when they die isn't necessarily the same that you read in the Bible. It's a, it's a, it's quite a bit more uh, personable. It's more of like a, a mystical experience, a mystic, which is like this oneness, this association with that being. Some other people who have seen Buddha, right? Uh, and again, there is this element of being connected to this this individual that gets them closer to their source, wherever they came from. Well, yeah, it's basically all the same thing. 
It mm-hmm. just gets labeled a different word with a different image of a dude. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, all the same. Some people don't experience that. They experience this direct correlation where they they see themselves not as with this other dude, but them as the in that place recognizing who they really are. Mm-hmm. So why do some people have that? Some souls have that and other souls have the the deity, oops, the deity experience. And it really comes down to like, where is that soul in their evolutionary path? Where are they in their soul growth experience? And you believe that we have past lives and we will have future lives. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How many lives do you think you've lived? Lots. Yeah? Yeah. Thousands? Yeah. 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 You think- I know some of them, but I don't know a lot of them. In your earliest life, do you think you were a single celled organism or like a fish, reptile, lizard thing? Like, where does it go back? How far does it go? Uh, well, you're, you're thinking more on like- I'm thinking of evolutionary standpoint. You're thinking of like humanistic evolutionary terms, yeah. but that's not how the soul evolves. Okay. So the soul evolves, it, it can be very nonlinear. So it can jump in the timeline from anywhere. And not all the lives that people remember are necessarily that life. So let's say you're going into an experience as a new soul and you need kind of understanding in a certain part. You can get, just like there's screen memories, there's imprint lives that will help you understand a situation. The soul kind of chooses these in order to help them along. So there's been one explanation is like, at one point in history, there was a lot of Cleopatras, right? So it can be said that maybe there was a need for that in that time for these people to experience this Cleopatra simultaneous life. So do we need a lot of influencers right now? Is that where we're at? Oh yeah, we we do. I mean, like- Are those the Cleopatras of, of uh of old, uh, I don't know how long that was. That was that was some time ago that everybody was like having like oh, I'm a Cleopatra. Some of that part really is, you know, of course, the sensationalism, the ego, the like, oh, me too. But um, but you know, there's there's more than one explanation. I think the the human desire seems like it's pretty consistent over time. Like. I think we've obviously gotten smarter and we've figured more things out, but it seems like at the core, it's always the same. People want to have happiness. People want to experience love. They want to experience love, but they also want to feel important and they also want to be appreciated. And they want people Mm. to think that there's something special about them. No, I would have to disagree with that. Yeah, there is individuals who want to feel important, want to feel appreciated. But really what it comes down to is you want to feel fulfilled. And it's fulfillment that people will have variances in what that means. So some people, like you can look at it as feeling important, but it's not really the importance, it's the fulfillment. So when they do certain things, like people do things that they feel are their soul's mission, they're going to feel fulfilled. Some people it's, I want to have a family. Right, I want to raise kids. I want to have a family, and that act for them is fulfilling. It's like what they've always wanted, and but it's also fleeting because they get there and they have all the kids, and then mm-hmm. their spouse doesn't like them anymore, or their job sucks, or not for everybody. And it, if if those are the individuals that we're talking about, it's probably not their true fulfillment. 
Yeah, that's that's the point. Like, I, I think that's what everybody's looking for. But sometimes when you get it, you, it's not what you thought it was. Oh, it's it's often not what you think it is. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely true. It's not what it's because we're usually thinking from that area that can be deceived, and the the biggest deceiver is ourselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've talked about this before. The thought of something is always better than the actual thing. Because when you get to mm -hmm. when you get to f create it in your mind, mm -hmm. like the, like the, the thought of something isn't always better than the experience. Let, let's just be clear on I'm that. I'm saying like if you have a good imagination, mm -hmm. like here here's a here's a reasonable example. Like say you wanted to see some band that you hadn't that they they stopped touring and you hadn't seen them ever and they came out with a new album. Yeah, and you wanted and you're like, oh my god, this is going to be the best thing ever. And then you go and see them and you're like. Yeah. Man, when I was really excited to do it and mm -hmm. I thought about it and I had all these ideas of the way it was going to go, that thing was better than actually experiencing it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And for those people, they're living from their head. Okay, well, that's me. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but imagine this, imagine this. So instead of just acting on what your mind's creating, you say, you tune into the band and you go, ah, oh, I'd really love to see them. Like, would this be a good idea? And your heart goes, eh. Oh man, I'm not gonna waste my time there. What about this band? Oh, okay, so I'm gonna go see this band instead. I've always wanted to see them too. So your heart's telling you instead of your head, I've always, I love this band, but they suck in person. Mm -hmm. That's what your heart's telling you. Yeah. However, go see this band instead. And sometimes it's like when you follow the path of your intuition, you don't you don't know where it's going to end up. Mm -hmm. But that's part of the excitement of it, and part of part of the adventure of it is sometimes you go there and maybe you meet a particular person that you wouldn't have met. Maybe maybe it's just you have an amazing time. So the soul, the heart, always wants to guide you to your best experience. Mm -hmm. So it's optimal that we learn that language so that we can have our best experience. But you gotta stop living in the head because we often prescribe the story, our own story to the situation. But what first what we gotta do is read the energy. When we learn to read the energy, we can have different experiences mm -hmm. because we're letting the energy itself speak to us. And then when you learn to manipulate energy, you can also shift things as well. So you can change the energetic aspect that's occurring in your life, even if it reads to be true, even if it feels to be true, then you can start to shift that and then you will have actually different experiences. Yeah, that's really just allowing yourself to appreciate something, right? Regardless of what your expectations are. No. No? No, I mean, that's, that can be part of it. That can be part of it, but it's not just that. Let's say like, uh, mm, let me get a good example. Okay, so I've, I've studied a lot of different spiritual information. I've had my own like amazing experiences, like I said, parallel realities, past lives, and I am a psychic empath. So I read energy, I understand energy. Um, I can do that at a distance, it doesn't matter. Uh, when I was working this particular job, I had some coworkers 
And this one coworker in particular, he never looked at me in the eye. He always looked down. Uh, he was roommates with another coworker. And me and her were always chatty, you know, and we were always kind of like very, as a little flirty with each other, whatever, but we were always talking to one another. Um, and I got this feeling like he was very mm, self-conscious, not so confident. Of course, some of that can be body language, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I'm reading the situation and getting a lot more information from him. And so part of understanding how to manipulate energy is understanding how our perception actually creates an experience. So yeah. when I tuned into him, instead of feeling this like uh, person who is so dissatisfied with himself, so disempowered, I felt and saw his like his his light, his own light in his body expand. I saw him be more confident. I saw him be more assured of himself, right? And this is something that I'm creating in my perception. I'm changing the energy that I'm witnessing into something else. And as I do that, I'm feeling a shift in myself as well. And when I feel it's complete, it's like, okay, there it is. And I let it go. I don't try to do anything different. I just accept that. Okay, okay. And that person, right when I did that, 10 or 20 minutes later, I don't know exactly how many minutes, but he walked through the door and he was completely different. Hmm. He talked to me for the first time, had full conversations. He was interested in um, getting to know me before where he didn't even look me in the eye. I noticed that he had an Australian accent for the first time and working with him for six months. Uh, he started- He changed his accent? No, he just never, he never really spoke enough for me to uh, notice. Oh, gotcha. So, hey, what's going on? No. Yeah. That was it. It's like, oh. <laughs> well, so do you, do you have experiences with people where you just realize that you can't connect with them? Okay. Are you saying in that situation, you, you made the conscious attempt to connect with him and then it happened? It wasn't even the conscious attempt to connect with him. It was the conscious attempt to change what I was perceiving because I was I was reading some literature that was talking about your perception, your perception being a key factor on what your experience is and what you're creating. So literally everything in the world is a mirror, a manifestation from within ourselves. So I'm looking at this information and saying, well, okay, if this is true, if this is really true, how can I see and experience this different and see a result? And so this is what unfolded through that thought process. And then when he walked in and he started talking to me, he was asking me like, oh, you know, what are you into? What other things that you do? And he's like, oh, I love hypnosis. And he started to mention this, this particular hypnotist who happened to specialize in men's confidence issues. So it was confirming everything that I was reading about him and his actions and behavior just 20 minutes after I did that was also confirming uh, the effectivity of what I just did, mm -hmm. right? But I, I have so many other stories that, that show that, so many other experiences that show that, that prove that. I think that really people are only gonna understand these things when they begin to play with them themselves and have real experiences for themselves. And you think, or you know, through experience that you are different from other people, which has allowed you to be witness to these, these, uh, I can't even think of the right word, these otherworldly events, yeah. mm -hmm. which you think allows you 
to connect with humans in a better way than if you were just quote unquote normal? I think it's part of my purpose. Yeah. My purpose is to have these experiences. My purpose is to understand them so that I may relay them to other people so that they help other people to understand them and then unfold them within themselves. And you think that's part of the process of past lives with everything that you're learning each life and getting closer and closer to whatever it is that we're supposed to get to? Yeah? Yeah, I think I think this process is never ending though. Yeah. Right? Like, like the human race is a very infantile race in their understanding of things as we talked about already. Like our spiritual evolution, we're, we're very infantile in that. We're at the, just the beginning of a very long process. And um, I, I think every little bit is important to go to the next step, but I don't think we ever stop learning. We don't ever stop evolving. We don't ever stop growing. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, it sounds like like a Mario Brothers video game. In each level, you get further and further and further until you get to the boss. But uh-huh. then what happens when you beat the boss? Then the game's over and you're like, fuck, you now find, what do I do? Find a new game. <laughs> you find a new game, that's it. I'd never heard of the, the past live theory until about six months ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know that I fully believe it, but it's a cool thought experiment. Like I can get on board with the idea that it is possible. Mm -hmm. And I really like, I really like thinking that we're all the same, that we're all part of like, if you picture like a, like a giant ball of dough Mm -hmm. and we're all just little pieces of this giant ball. And then you just get plucked out and you're like, okay, go do this for 80 years. Go be a uh, uh, trader on Wall Street, then you come back and they're like, okay, now go be a broke hillbilly in Alabama. Okay, 80, you only get 60 years, come back. And then go be a, a scuba diver in Thailand. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're just going out and trying different things and then you come back and you have like this collective conscious consciousness and this collective um, range of experience and all this stuff it seems like a really cool idea and you just keep getting better and better and better. Yeah. But I've talked to other people and in this line of thought, you get to choose where you're going next. And you choose, sometimes you choose something harder. Yeah. Or you you choose to be like a kid who gets abused. And to me, that's, that's a tough spot, man, to if this is the thing and you go back to the ball and then you're like, I'm going to be a child predator. Yeah. Like something fucked up like that. Like how do you choose to do so the most heinous thing? That That's a little bit of a convoluted question, but I, there is some sense and sensibility when you, when you look at all the pieces together. Uh, so first of all, I, I don't think anybody, well, there are some people who choose that because of some karmic thing that they're playing out. And so they play out this piece of karma. A lot of times what happens though, like when I read people and I read people's energy, I can tell when they have thoughts and beliefs that are out of alignment with that greater part of themselves. So when your soul 
believe something or know something and your mind is saying it, or you have traumas stuck in your body, it alters and warps these energy centers, sometimes shutting them off almost completely. Uh, sometimes it will just be in the body. Sometimes it will be outside of the body. Uh, a lot of trauma victims, they won't like to have their energy be in the body because it doesn't feel safe. So they kind of try to escape a lot. Um, so when a person is acting in any kind of way, their energy is going to be shifting in and out. So they have a life path and sometimes they have choices that they make. And I do believe there are many, many possibilities and we are living out simultaneous lives in parallel realities, just based on my own experiences, personal experiences. And so we experience like what these different choices are knowing like how certain things can play out and being aware of certain things and how they can play out. The person probably is not gonna choose to be the abuser but it's in their unawareness of self that they begin to play those things out. Uh, sometimes it's like a karmic retribution that they take this role and so they don't really take on any karma. It's actually some role that they're playing with that other soul. But for the most part, it's their unalignment with that larger part of themselves. And when they become acting out this thing that's not aligned with that larger part of themselves, that's when they accumulate what's typically called karma. And when they accumulate karma, they then go into play the other side of the role because there's a part of them that wants to greater understand what this thing that they're experiencing is. Why do we experience pain? Why do we experience trauma? So if you think about like uh, love, right? You can think you know love, but when you experience like the the utter darkness of, of what's possible, going back and really experiencing love, then you understand love in a whole new way. For sure. So thinking about and why certain things happen and why these things play out, we have to let go of our human experience and try to attempt to looking at it like, what would the soul do if it were intending to grow and expand and looking forward, like what do we grow into? Uh, so if we're going to continue as a soul, like there's probably a lot of different roles that we're going to play as a soul. And what can we do in that? Like when we, and this is going to come back to even parallel realities, right? So there's people who have parallel re or alternate reality experiences and they go there in their mind and live in this little world and they can come back and wake up. Uh, they call it reality shifting, right? So they are acting as this creator from this standpoint. So if you're taking the limits off of what a soul is capable of, then there's so many different things, so many different directions that a person with unlimited possibilities, a soul with unlimited possibilities might wanna play with. I want to create my own universe. I want to create a world. I wanna create this, I wanna create that. So. Thinking about like if you had unlimited capabilities, what would you do outside of this human body? But there might be a whole lot of things that you need to understand along the way. So you're still connected to this unlimited, vast intelligence that's also going to be guiding you at any step of the way. So you're not necessarily doing this by yourself, but you're guiding along this process of like this inherent call that you're being pulled to.
Now, I've had parallel reality experiences myself where I like this first one was more um, an astral experience. So I learned to leave my body and I would roll out of my body and appear somewhere else. And this one particular time I met myself in a parallel reality. It was super interesting. In a different time period or a different planet or what? Like, what does that mean? So uh, in this particular experience, it was, it was super interesting. So I rolled out of my body and I found myself in this attic. Like there's this upper room of this house. It was some small house, a blue house with white trim somewhere in Portland. And um, I didn't know where it was. I just knew it was somewhere in Portland. And then I like, got this feeling like somebody was looking for me. And I was like, I don't know where I am. I don't know who's looking for me. So I went and I tried to lock all the windows and shut the door. But uh, somebody came up, this woman came up the, the stairs and she's like, hey, there you are. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, and she called, hey, honey, come up here. And I walked up the stairs and I walked over to myself, like this other me walked over to me and we looked at each other in the face and both of us were kind of in shock and awe. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And so that woman was that version of me wife, right? And then I was back in my body. I'm like, well, that was really interesting. And so I rolled out of my body again and I appeared in this other house, a really nice house in the Hollywood Hills. And I started talking to him and I was like, well, you've done really well for yourself. And he's like, yeah, well, I have some government problems because they're looking at what I do in a certain way. So I started giving him a legal advice, like try, try to do it this way. And then um, back in my body, I roll out again. And the next thing I know, I at this big like stadium thing and uh, it was just a, a flash. And then I saw him and her walk by. Next thing I know, I'm back in my body. And then I did it one more time and she's like, there you are. You know, it's amazing. You look the same, exactly the same every time we see you. And I was like, well, it's only been five minutes between each time I've seen you. She's like, well, for us, it's been five minutes or five years. So there was like this time differentiation between when I was seeing them and experiencing them and when my experience was occurring. So every, every minute was like a year. It was really interesting. You made me think of ghosts when you were telling all of that right there. Ghosts. Yeah. What if, what if when you enter a dream, you're just becoming a ghost in someone's reality? I've, I've, I've entered into like other realities where I saw this creator being and there was this little world and the creator being was asking me how to solve the issues on this little world with these two communities. So it was kind of like I was this, this kind of ghost or, or whatnot. And basically on in that reality, one side was at war with the other side. And there was there's a river in between them. And I saw them as little lights. Uh, but when they started killing the families over here and they started blaming this side, and then there's like, well, you you killed my family. And so they started retaliating. And so there's this big feud back and forth. I started to talk to this creator being on how to solve this this feud and basically resolve their emotional problems and, and explaining why they were being the way they were because it didn't understand. So, I mean, I, I think that there's a possibility for us to be this this ghosts in other people's realities or other realities. Yeah, I mean, that might be what consciousness is. 
Yeah. And it might be the thing that we don't understand, that it's just all interconnected somehow and we just haven't quite figured it out. I think that's right. And that's, that's the element why certain scientists think that we're living in a simulation. It's, it's those little pieces right there. Mm -hmm. I don't think they have it quite right. Um, I think the simulation is actually emulating the truth, which is what we are creator beings. We are a consciousness creating our own reality that's being mirrored back to us, but not necessarily that we're in a simulation itself. Well, that's the, that's the thing. You can't, I think this is real. I don't really know. Maybe this is a memory. Maybe I'm 60 years old and I'm just remembering this. I don't know. It seems real. I don't think I'm crazy, but it's, I don't know how you tell. If you really think about it, how do you tell what anything is? That's a good question, but I, I think everything has, everything has an aspect of legitimacy, right? Like everything has a truth to it. Everything has an experience to it. If you were, um, a person who is always an asshole in your dreams, you're probably going to be an <laughs> asshole in real life. <laughs> yeah. So just be nice in your dreams. Yeah. It's reflective well, of your your regular person. You can work on, like there's, there's um, Toltec practices where you can work on yourself in your dreams, work on your life in your dreams, and it carries over into reality. Hmm. But this is how, this is how manifestation works. This is how creation works. Most people aren't aware of it, but yeah, these, these things happen. And so if you think that we reached a point, I think things are going to change a lot in the next 10, 15, 20 years with VR yeah. and uh, yeah. metaverse and all the, um, f for lack of a better word, all of the fake things, all of the fake realities that we're going to be in. Do you think that if we could just enter a dream state that we would just do that? If you could just do whatever you wanted... You could you could be Spider Man. You could uh, you could do anything. Like, why would we live in a regular reality where you're limited when you could be anything? Are we really limited? So, by, by some standards, yeah. By some standards, right? So, the question I've always had is, what are our perceived limitations, and how far can we surpass them? What is our own ability to surpass our perceived limitations? And I ask this having some personal crazy ass experiences. So this is part of my thought process on what is really the truth about our own experiences. Like I've experienced parallel realities. I've seen, like I said before, walls disappear in front of me where other people saw them too with me. So it's not like it was a, as a fragment of my imagination. It was a, they were there to witness it. Um, all these other experiences where things are moving in front of me. That's, that's not possible, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote possible in reality. So then if these things are possible, what causes them to be possible? What creates that allowance? What is different about these people? Because there's more than just me that experiences this, right? I've talked to many, many different people uh, on my path. And a lot of them have their own stories that are similar to mine and um, just just as just as interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And so what creates the allowance for these experiences in, in all the people who have them that is different from those who don't? And so asking this question 
feeling like what I do when I tune into people, uh, it really comes down to a person's belief systems. It's their, it's their intention, their allowing, right? The degree of their allowing, what they allow in their personal reality, what they allow, what will they allow to shift in their belief system? So if something's too radical, generally people won't want to go there right away because it's too upsetting. It's yeah. too shocking to their senses and to their understanding of what the, what the reality is. But um, when you let yourself be completely open, there's so much that becomes possible though. Like I had my first ayahuasca experience, completely blew my mind. And uh, when I was saying before about like you setting your intention or you having like an idea, but it surpasses your idea, this is one of those things. I first came across this information. I never heard of it. I was in Iraq when I did. I'm like, I read about it. I'm like, I need to do that. And it was just this knowing, like, I need to do that. And because of like, I understand how manifestation works. I knew that I was aligned to it. I set myself to it and I let it go. And three months after I got back to the States, I was in the bookstore and somebody just started talking to me. And she's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I do ayahuasca ceremonies. I'm like, oh, you don't say. And she's like, yeah, like, why don't you... Uh, uh, do you want to check it out? I'm like, so I kept asking her. She's like, okay, you've asked enough times. I, I think I'll bring you now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went and the whole month preparing for this, even the journey up to it was amazing. Even the journey up to it before I even got there. So I knew something big was unfolding and I meditated every day, every day. My intention was, okay, so there's so much more that we're capable of. And there's so much more that I know like wants to come through me. Like I, I, I want to know what my God self is. And that's the way I phrased it. It's like this experience of enlightenment, this experience of being one with God. Like what are we truly capable of? If I let that completely open, what does that look like? And so it's like this intention and open question to the universe to answer. And I left it at that. And so I meditated on that every day for this, this month. And uh, I have a number of different psychic friends and they would tell me like out of the blue, like I feel your father around you. And I'm like, yeah. And my ears would start ringing. They would get hot and I would feel this presence. And there was the strangest thing. Like at first, like they said that and I checked my phone and there was an email. It was to me, but it was an outgoing email that I sent six years prior what? It was an email because I'm Native American and I lost touch with that side of my family. My father was killed when I was a baby. And uh, so I was, I was emailing the genealogist who happened to be raised by my aunt that I found out later. But I was emailing this genealogist from my tribe and I'm like, I'm trying to find my, my family. And she's like, well, who was your, what's your father's name? So this first line, the very first line of this email is, all I know of my father, his name is Alfred Joseph Lapierce from the Little Shell Band of Montana Chippewa. That was the first line. So I get this email back in my inbox at the very moment they said, I feel your father around you. And then it was strange. And I went to look on the computer and that email wasn't on the computer, but it was on my phone. So I'm like, how did that happen? And then it happened again with a different person. And I checked my phone and I checked the computer and it was on the computer, but not my phone. And after that, it appeared in both places. So something really strange. And was you're happening. saying it was time stamped with six years previously, but you got it. 
I sent out that email six years prior, but I got it in the very moment in my inbox when they mentioned my father's name. Hmm. Like I sent it to somebody else, right? Okay. It was okay. my outgoing email to somebody else. But then I got that same email with like to me. Uh, and there was like one of the lines was blank, but it was to me, whatever they said, my father's name. Okay. And uh, in the ceremony, he was he showed up in the ceremony and I had a full conversation with him. He was my guide in the ceremony. Mm -hmm. He was telling me like when I need to drink water, he was helping me release some things. Mm -hmm. And so the very first part of the ceremony was me like just purging like basically all of my crap, mm -hmm. like so much that I was releasing and he was guiding mm -hmm. me through that. After that part, the second half of the ceremony is when everything opened up mm -hmm. and there was this burst of energy, like my Kundalini opened completely up, it shot through my crown. And I felt this like ecstatic bliss in that moment. It was really amazing. Uh, but it wasn't just the feeling of that, that, that complete bliss and, and oneness with that uh, sensation that was the most amazing. It was everything that it opened up because I noticed that I was completely aware of everything going on in the room. I knew who was having trouble with what, what they were struggling with. Any answer or any question I asked, I got an immediate knowing of the answer. Mm -hmm. I, I wish I would have asked more questions. Right. Yeah. But the immediate knowing of what was going on, I was looking at certain people in my life. What, why are they struggling? What is going on with them? And they're struggling. I, I got the answers to so much. And the people in a room, I started going into their body and I would help them th through things and release things. And I would come out of their body and then like somebody else, I'm like, okay. And they were struggling with things. And there was a theme for that. It was struggle. And you know, the next day, uh, everybody in their share circle, like, oh, I, I was struggling with this and a being came in my body and I was just kind of silent because I was like, that's really cool. That is really cool. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't important that I knew that. It was just, yeah. it was kind of for me to know. But, um, and there was this one instance, like I, you can look at why did this happen, but it was the experience itself to know what's possible because that's what I was asking. Um, my closet appeared in front of me. So not only was I telepathic and I could heal anything and, and get anything answered, but my closet appeared in front of me and I could remote view perfectly clear. I could pull up any picture I wanted like it was in front of me. Mm -hmm. And my closet, I was like looking at it and staring at it and I was getting bored because it wasn't doing anything. And I was wondering why the hell my closet appeared in front of me. It's like, there's, uh, this doesn't make any sense. Why is this here? I'm like, I was waiting for something to happen. I'm like, okay, I'm done. So I put my hands up. And I swiped it through the side and I saw it just kind of burst like this. And I was like, and the picture was gone and okay. And then I just kept doing whatever I was doing. And uh, like in the morning, like I, I, we had the share circle and, and there was even a Hopi message on my phone about letting go of struggle. I was like, well, that's kind of coincidental, right? It fit the theme of the night where everybody was, was going through. And I got a lot of like, um, teachings on the concept of struggle from somewhere, right? Uh, but it was kind of downloaded into me. And when I got home that next day, I was sharing my experiences with my roommate. And then I walked downstairs and I looked at my room and I noticed my closet had blown up. Like it was one of those rolling wardrobes, right? And so it was in this little cubby where like a bar should have been, mm -hmm. but it wasn't. So I bought this wardrobe thing and it fit in there, but it was really meant for like a lot of weight. So the knuckles where the bar goes together was like, you know, so big. Mm -hmm. And 
on opposite sides, the bar had blown through the knuckles and my clothes were all over my room. And it didn't break down. It broke sideways, horizontally. Hmm. Really fascinating. And I was like, whoa. And I just, like, I knew it was because of that image and I connected to it. So then I went upstairs. I'm like, I shared with my roommate, like, guess what just happened? And I told him like how those two things were connected. And I didn't think about it until I went like, you know, went down and looked. And he's like, did this happen at 2 a.m.? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it happened right about then. He's like, I was playing Call of Duty and I heard this loud explosion. So I paused the game because I, I thought I was hearing things and I thought I was just overtired. It must've been my imagination, but he heard a loud explosion, a loud bang. And so he paused the game and, and, and paid attention to what time it was. So it confirmed my own experience over there. Hmm. And um, then that's, that's the experience that I had that made me think back on the early experience in my life when I was still in the military and all those things were opening up and closing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for that, that little time period after that, my energy had shifted. I was, I was a bit different and like certain things would move around me. Like I went to go open the vitamin drawer and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, what vitamins do I need today? In the spirulina bottle, the pills inside started shifting back and forth. That's really strange, but really cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, message received, you know? Um, but then like it slowly kind of drifted away. And there's been other kind of experiences I've had too that opened up this thing, but. So are you constantly waiting for other things to happen and you're just, open and receptive to, to anything that comes around? I mean, it sounds like for the most part, these are, these are positive experiences. And so are for the just, most part, yeah, you're just hoping other things are going to happen. Um, life it's, is, it's, life it, is more exciting. It's not really a hoping things are going to happen. Well, sometimes, yeah, but it's not really a hoping things are going to happen. It's just a, an openness to it happening. Yeah. All right. Like, so I used to keep, a. um, a tent, a sleeping bag, and a bundle of wood in my trunk at all times because I knew sometimes I just got this urge to go up and camp. And so every time I get a strong feeling about something and I follow it through, something happens. Like I, I knew down to go to this conference because everything in me said, you need to go here. And I went down to this conference in LA and that's where I had one of those parallel reality experiences with a friend of mine. You know, so we were, we were walking down the hall and we were on the third floor of Universal Hotel and there was a wall halfway through the hall where on the other side of it is where our room should have been. And we were silent and we were looking at each other and like, this is really weird. And so we start walking towards it and we walked into this palpable bubble where we can feel the energy shift and change. And we looked at each other, like our mouth opened and I'm just like observing. So I'm really open and accepting to my experience because I'm just watching it the whole time, wondering what's going on, you know, but I'm just kind of uh, more in observation mode. She was more in shock. So I could hear her thoughts. Like, I, first of all, there, there was a pressure shift in this little bubble that we walked into, and that's what made our hair stand up. The energy was different, uh, but I could hear and see her thoughts. It waved through the air and then it hit this wall. And her thoughts were, oh my God, this shouldn't be happening. Why is this wall here? This shouldn't be, this wall shouldn't be here. Why is this here? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And her thoughts started interacting with the wall the moment that little wave hit it and the wall started wobbling back and forth. And then it opened up and disappeared. 
where I'm watching her thoughts, I'm watching her, and I'm watching the wall. And the moment that interaction happened is when it shifted, where I was completely open to it. So it shows our conscious interaction, our consciousness interaction with the world around us and how that can shift things one way or the other. Of course, I asked her, I'm like, were you thinking these thoughts? And she's like, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. How'd you know that? I'm like, well, I could see and feel them. I could see, hear, and feel them. And so she confirmed everything that I was picking up, but also like, you know, that was very important for for the learning of parallel realities and how our consciousness affects things. Um, my mom actually showed up the next day because she went to visit me. She lived in near the area and she had the same experience, but she didn't share it until I shared our experience because she thought she was losing her mind. Do you have any years or months in your life that, that are gone, like with your mom? Do you have any things that you don't remember? Uh, no, I remember... I remember most things with my mom. No, no, I, I just mean, you, you said earlier that your mom has like years that have, are gone from her. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have anything like that? No, not for that. No? Not for that long. All no. the stories you told are very vivid and full of detail. Yeah. 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 I find that very interesting. Like, you got a good memory. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's hard to forget so those things. Yeah. Those certain kind of things, those are, those are things that you don't forget. Those, mm -hmm. They stick with you. Yeah. You I, don't know what you ate for dinner last night, but you know all that stuff. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, Me too. The, yeah. the, the important things stick. The, the yeah. non-important, the non-essential information that gets kicked yeah. out. Yeah. It's weird how memory works like that. When I was in, in school, you know, I could memorize the test. I could memorize everything I needed to know for the test. Yeah. I can get an A. Ask me two weeks from that. I won't tell you any, I, I couldn't yeah. tell you what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. We're, we're right about two hours. I think that's a good spot. All right. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yep.